0: Here comes another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are veering pretty wildly into unexplored territory with an unlikely team alone atop the Bundesliga table. With me this week, making his Talking Foosball debut, I guess, unexplored territory, is a reliably fun presence on Twitter and Twitch in the form of Mr. 50-plus donor, it's Dick Payne. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Good. It's good to be here with you. There's going to be a lot for us to talk about. We're going to talk about your your show. We're going to talk about Match Day 6 in the Bundesliga. We're going to talk about Este FC Union Berlin.
1: Wow. Wow. All pronunciation. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I, I lived in Germany way too long not to not to go, you know, whole hog on those sorts of things.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> gonna be right
0: back with, with all that, with the best and the rest of Match Day Six. In the meantime, please do, you know, subscribe to the pod. Leave us a five-star rating if you like us. It helps get the word out to new people. And if you really like us. Support us on Patreon. we got tons of timeless content over there. We've got a new season of our history series, Historic Match Day Moments, which is running all season. And uh, most recently, we got something about the other club from Hamburg. Or if you're, you know, of a certain persuasion, probably the club from Hamburg. Be right back. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct. I'm Matt Herman, driving the show, and alongside me is Jake Payne from 50 Plus Donor. Big things afoot in the Bundesliga, I would have to say, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, this match day, for this match day to happen on a weekend where the Premier League wasn't happening is insane. I am like looking over what happened, I still am just like, what was this weekend
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. All all that um, you know, lopsided Bundesliga slander. Sometimes not actual slander. Sometimes it's true. Uh, it was not true this weekend. I guess it kind of been a long time coming, considering Bayern had been on a bit of a slide. And you know, Kupchik's finest. They've they've outgrown their you know little club that could image. They've been playing with a real fearsome consistency all season thus far. And, you know, nobody, nobody, not even Bayern can keep up with them at the moment. STFC Union Berlin. They got another great result on Sunday. They went to the Müngensdorfer Stadion in Cologne and they just muted. Muted the Billy Goats. Like, Timo Huber's got the game's only goal for the wrong team, <laughs> uh, trying to redirect a shot from Sheraldo Becker, you know, sort of early ish in the first half. We did see a saved penalty. We saw a disallowed goal that, uh, you know, might have made the result a bit more definitive. It might have been a bit of, uh, you know, a gabeness cosmetic, like make it look like a more lopsided game. But, you know, mostly I thought it was just Union playing like the collective. Python sort of game that they have perfected. What did you make of this result, Dig? I, I know you picked it the other way out of complete lack of bias. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I love all the teams equally. So <laughs> this was a, it was a good result, but yeah, man, I mean like the first 15 minutes were, I mean, they were pouring it on. The fact that it was still only one zero and the one goal was just the most unfortunate deflection that could have possibly happen in all realities of that moment. I think the one goal is not the big story. I think it's the fact that Colm didn't score at all. Because if you go back and watch that game, I have not seen a team play defensively like Union Berlin in a very long time. Like Colm is not a bad team. They can get a lot of shots, but they just look like they had no idea what to do. <laughs> like They were making long balls, just like those desperation long balls. I mean, they just, like, whatever Union was doing, they just shut them down. And not in, like, a park-the-bus matter. Just, like, they just won't let you go forward. It's it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, I am a Hertha fan, and I'm also a fan of attacking football, which means that, like, I'm not going to be, like ecstatic about them doing well, but they're really, really, really good at what they do. They defend deep well. They don't press very much like on the regular, but like they know how to press situationally and they can really sort of mess up, build up play when they want to. I just think they're really, (laughs) they're really something special at the moment. I mean, last season, I, I looked this up, they had the second lowest Sort of personnel costs in the entire league. I can't imagine that that number has changed significantly, especially as that they've, you know, shed a couple of players who might have been making a little bit more, like Awani, et etc. It's not so that they are they're at top of the league right now.
1: It is. It's so wild to think about because I mean, the thing that I keep pushing to people all the time is like this team has not been in the first league before until now. So usually there's a period, like you can see with like Volkham coming back for the first time in a while, some of these other teams, that there's just like an adjustment period. And their adjustment period was purely not making European football. Like (laughs) they had that one year and since then they just are piecing it together. I feel like people, every time the season starts, I'm like, okay, this is where Union's going to like start to have some difficulties. And they still have not had that. So it's, it's an incredible, incredible story. I must say,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the only thing that's clouding things for them, and this is, you know, it's early days, so it's probably best not to get carried away. And this truthfully applies for Cologne as well, even though they they had a slightly better time on the pitch anyway in Europe this past week. But you know, Union they're top of the league in the Bundesliga. They're they're riding high. They're they're unbeaten, but they did get off to a bad start in the Europa League. They lost at home to saint You know. For a team of their stature that has probably a slightly less deep squad than some teams, this is going to be maybe trickier. So many sort of so-called English weeks in a row for them. Do you foresee them running into any turbulence moving forward?
1: I feel like the way they play actually kind of helps them a little bit. They're not really a team... That's going to run you down. I think you saw that today is like, I'd be so interested to see what the ground coverage stats were, but like, I feel like because they're just so defensively sound, like you said, they don't really need to be pressing as hard. And I feel like that kind of saves them in terms of energy, in terms of fitness. I think like, it's going to be hard on everybody. Like you said, Matt, like, I think if you look at like all these team October's that are playing in, in Europe, it's rough. Like, <laughs> You're literally playing, like, 16 games in a month. But I think their style kind of helps them out a little bit in terms of longevity. Because even the revolt this past weekend, they still have not been scored on more than once in any game so far this season. So it's still, like, even though they did lose and it's disappointing, it's still kind of, there's a positive in that they're still continuing this not being scored on streak. So I hope they can get out of this. I think they do still, ha- like, you're right, their death is probably not the same as the team around them, but I don't know. I think their style really helps them out in terms of that.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting story over the next couple of months before for the World Cup. Do you have any similar or, or dissimilar, shall we say, concerns about uh, FTC? I know this is, a, this is a team that means a little something to you.
1: Maybe. <laughs> I was not really disappointed with this result purely because I kind of already knew what I was getting myself into with Union. It's just a tough game. I mean, you go down immediately, so Union had incentive to just kind of play more defensive than they might have if it was 0-0. They did get shut down in that second half, which is annoying, but this is still their first loss. They went away in Europa Conference League to Nice and got a point arguably probably the toughest team that's not them in that group. It's still a good season. I don't think this derails anything. I think it's just, it was just a, a tough opponent on short rest, so... And you went down early, you know? And so, those games happen. Uh, I'm not really, really pressed about it. I think next week when they play Bulkham, they should destroy them, but I think that will be more of a game where, like, if they play against that, I'll be like, uh, what's going on?
0: Sure. Okay, let's get to a little bit more totally unbiased content. Absolutely. <laughs> what have you, What as an FSA guy, <laughs> what, what have you liked and or like, disliked about them so far this year? I mean, before the season started, I kind of got, just from, from media and et cetera, I kind of got a vibe that there was not a lot of confidence heading into the season, that maybe there were some fans or, or reporters who felt like the team had overachieved last season and that they would really find it pretty hard to replicate that, and I would say thus far, they've been fine. They've been good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like people automatically, like you said, people thought they overachieved last year, which was a fair assumption considering the year before they barely survived relegation. I think just like people saw that like the last time they were in a European competition and like Modest left and all this, they're like, okay, well, the same thing could happen. But I've been telling people the big difference is that Baumgart brings an energy and a swagger and a mindset of this team that they haven't really had in a very long time of just, like, we're not going to go out like punks. Like Yeah, it's, you see it, you I see get it. it this, you see it in this game. You saw it in this game. You saw it in the match against Wolfsborg. Normally, I think, like, under Gistel and some of these other coaches that we've had in the past, when they go down or when they play a harder opponent, they just kind of step back and kind of let the other team walk over them. And that just is not the case with Baumgart. You see, like, Florian kinds get his rhythm back. I always tell people, like, it's crazy that he's Kosha and Oh, Beno Schmitz. The, when you look at what he was before Baumgart came in, it's insane that he's, like, one of the best defenders in... I would say one of the best defenders in the league now, attacking-minded. It's just, like, I think people didn't factor in Baumgart, what he brings to this, this team. And I don't think they factored in that he kind of knew Modest was probably leaving ahead of time and had a backup plan. I think they're still trying to figure out how to attack and how to finish. But it's they're in way better of a situation than they were in 2017, 2018. So, I mean, this is – I'm loving this start so far. Nice.
0: Just because I don't know your backstory, I don't know you that well. Um, how, how'd you get into FC? What drew you to him?
1: So ironically enough, my 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 mom's dad is from Dortmund. So you'd think Dortmund would be the likely progression. But really what kicked it off for me was studying abroad in Bonn, which if you don't know where Bonn is or the listener doesn't know where Bonn is, it's like a 15-minute train ride south of Cologne. Uh, I used to be the West German capital just being in that close of an area, like I knew I knew what soccer was before I went there, so I like, would go to a local bar and there'd be tons of Cone fans. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. What was your Cone bar in, in
0: Bonn? I used to live in
1: Bonn. I for, what's the name? There's this one Irish bar that's like kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's in West Bonn. I, always, I saw it on like GeoGuessr one time. I'm like, oh, my God, that's the bar. But I forget what the name is. There's like a thousand. Is this an in Indonesia? Maybe. There's like a thousand Irish bars in, in Boston for some reason.
0: Oh, I know. I know.
1: But, uh, yeah, I mean, just being around that energy. And then honestly, really, I think it was like biased time. But when I started uh, FC Cone Chicago and like I got in touch with the team, got in touch with more fans in the U.S., I think that really carried it. Like, for example, like me and my friend went, went to Cincinnati for like their Oktoberfest and FC Cincinnati happened to be playing at that time. They weren't in MLS yet. And we saw a guy with like an FC called license plate and me and my friend went, what? And it turns out they're the guys who now run FC Cincinnati. So it's just like that kind of friendship and just continuing the passion just from meeting people who are also passionate about it really keeps me going with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sort of slowly trying to find the uh, Bundesliga fan community in in Wisconsin. I went to a sort of watch party thing at a, at a brewery, really good brewery actually, a gathering place in Milwaukee. The 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 brewer there is a comb fan. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's
1: my uh, friend Corey. Okay, yeah, they, and the
0: uh, the the owner who is a uh, Tending bar when I went there, yeah, is uh, is an Eintracht fan. Mm-hmm. So we had plenty to talk about. There were a couple of Dortmund fans who were there. I was there with with a, a buddy who's sort of he's kind of shopping for teams at the moment. He's he was you know looking at Stuttgart, some other some other things. We had a good time. I, I, I wish I wish there was more more folks who could turn up to things like that. But I'm I'm happy for the people I find.
1: Yeah, I feel like they're having. I feel like the fact that they opened that up is really good. I think like having Bundesliga specific things tends to bring more people out for that. so
0: Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned you went to an Oktoberfest in Cincinnati a few years ago, and, and I saw via social media that you were at a, a Chicago Oktoberfest wearing your, your Snuggie in part. Um, <laughs> yeah, 50-plus dinner Snuggies. This, this is a dream. Was there any sort of Bundesliga or even soccer or whatever tie-in there? Like, I really feel... And this is in part, you know. Everyone knows the Premier League is rules the roost in the United States and yeah. many, many other parts of the world. I think in part they have this sort of built-in vehicle for for a delivery system for their product at all the sort of English slash Irish theme bars that exist right and everywhere, and like a lot of German events and German style bars, like don't really step up and do much for the Bundesliga. Uh, I, I know that, that that's part of it's a chicken-egg situation where, like, you know, you just wish more people were into it and they start something and not enough people turn up, whatever. But, like, was there much in the way of, like, people repping Bundesliga or anything like that?
1: So I think, like, those kind of events, for whatever reason, bring out national team fans. Uh not necessarily Bundesliga. And like I think there is a difference between a German national team fan and like a hardcore Bundesliga fan, at least in the US. My thing has always been, like you said, about delivery systems. I feel like something that would get this off the ground is like what the Premier League does with their fan fest. I think that would kick off so much. With Bundesliga, I feel like, like you said, like people just assume there's not that many fans. I think clubs even do that with marketing in the U.S. where they're like why, like, why why waste the money or waste the time? But I feel like if ESPN or the league itself just like did a fan fest for one time, just to try it, just one time, I feel like they would be so shocked. And I think people would be so shocked because I think people just assume it's only going to be Dortmund and Bayern fans. But I, I know from just my experience, and, and like even you saying that there are like Frankfurt fans and stuff like that, that there's just so many people, they just don't know where to congregate and how to, and I feel like either the league needs to do that, or like the fans need to put one together, and I think that would we'll just make it more available, and it, it would show people that this league is actually still popular, I think people just assume it's not because Bayern wins every year, and... I mean, people live and die for, for this league, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, Bayern winning every year is not a great advertisement for the league, but there's so many other good things going on. Yeah, as we all know. If you're listening to this podcast, you know this. Right. Okay, <laughs> let's step back to uh, match day 6. Quickly maybe taking a glance at Freiburg and Gladbach. This was sort of the, the second of two Sunday games. We all looked forward to Sunday <laughs> Two good games and one goal. One goal among the four teams. Uh, Freiburg, you know, they had a chance to go top if they had gotten a win against Gladbach. But it was a nil-nil draw. And in and, and keeping with talking football direct policy of not talking too much about nil-nil draws, did you have any sort of brief thoughts about Freiburg missing that chance? I mean, maybe maybe they just exerted themselves too much beating Karabach on Thursday.
1: I think – The one thing about Gladbach that's actually going to help them is that they're not in any extra competitions. Mm -hmm. And for Freiburg to come off of a a short week against a team that has a lot of rest and is a good team, uh, completely unbiased. (laughs) But it's just, it doesn't shock me too much. I think the one thing that is going to be very dangerous is Gladbach being a good team and also not having too many other things to worry about. It's just kind of, like, a tough thing to, to go into. I, I was expecting more out of Freiburg, but I guess 0 isn't too bad for who they're playing, I, I guess. Like, I think Freiburg is also in a situation like a lot of other teams. Like, they need to figure out how they're going to play these games on short rest as well. So I was expecting more, but I don't. I also don't think it's the end of the world or anything. I think it's just an adjustment period they got to go through.
0: Yeah, I think you highlighting – these are both good teams. Gladbach is a good team that was really – had a lot more time to repair, I think, probably answers most of those questions. Let's talk a little bit about what made this whole constellation at the top of the league possible, which is to say Bayern. Bayern just getting their third straight draw. And, you know, they are beginning to show a real inability to, like, control and close out games. I mean – I guess against Gladbach, you could argue that was just, you know, Jan Zomer turning into Plastic Man or whatever. Oh my,
1: what in the world was that? <laughs> but certainly
0: against Union and certainly in this game, you know, they had more chances. They had better chances than did Stuttgart. But they also got a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card in the form of a disallowed goal for that pretty soft foul on Yosu Akimish like, I don't know, 51st minute or something like that. I don't want to zoom in too exclusively on this situation, but there was a lot of weird stuff going on <laughs> with refereeing this weekend. I um, mean, you had that disallowed goal from for Stuttgart. You had three handball decisions at least that caused a lot of consternation. The one in the Cologne-Union game where the ball hit an outstretched arm with the players back turned and was called a handball. The one in Berlin, not given to Hertha, despite the fact that the player was looking at the ball coming at his arm. Then one in Bremen, which had some similarities to those, which was given. Obviously, different referees are allowed to interpret the game differently, up to a point, I guess. But like the fact that VAR was not even called in on some of them, like the one in the, the Hertha Leverkusen game, the ref didn't look at the monitor, is there something going wrong? With, with our system of VAR, or or is this just sort of a bunch of smoke that's going to blow away in a, the first stiff wind?
1: I think, like you said, it was just a weird weekend where all the decisions kind of, like, came in at once. Because, I mean, handball in general is a weird rule in, like, overall. You know what I mean? I don't think that's exclusive to Bundesliga or this weekend. I will say... Even in the call game, there was an other like handball call that could have been gate made that wasn't made. Like you said with the earlier one, with the player not looking and they call it, this one hit their hand and they were looking at it. They didn't, like you said, go to VAR. I think like, they just need to figure out how they want to use this tool. I think they should empower the refs to make quick decisions too, because some of these VAR decisions take like seven minutes. It completely derails the game. They just have this tool that they thought would, I feel like they kind of thought this would just, okay, make everything fair. And now nobody really knows how to apply it to the game without having it be disruptive. And I think that's going to just be a continuing story. I hope the league kind of looks at this weekend and looks at the handball rule and be like, okay, like this is when you should kind of like take more of a look at it or just kind of like, what, recently, they, they had more definition as to what the handball rule would be like, and it doesn't look like it's really setting. So there's just a lot of confusion around all that, and I hope the league kind of takes its initiative to just figure out how refs should be using this. And I think, honestly, I think there should be a time limit to VAR decisions. Like, there is one – I think it was Cone Schalke that took like eight minutes. Like you can't have that. So there's more growth that needs to be done with VAR. And I hope the league doesn't take doing that as like an affront to refs or something like that. They just need to do it, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if anything, I I like the idea of having a time limit because, of course, it's supposed to be a clear and obvious error that you're you're correcting. But at the same time, I'm going to put on my totally unbiased hat here (laughs) and say I think – it is very foolish that the VAR official did not tell, you know, Benjamin Brandt, the referee in the in the Hertha Leverkusen match. I don't care what you think. Go to the monitor and look at that. Right. Look at it again and tell me you want to decide the same way. I mean, sometimes I get the feeling that the person in the the, the basement in Cologne is just too deferential to the on. Pitch referees' judgment, and Mm -hmm. I know that the on-pitch referee is the one who makes the final call in terms of looking at the video and deciding. But sometimes you have to say, "Dude, no! Look at the video. Look at the video. I don't care that you're feeling real confident. Look at the video." Okay, now I'm I'm not not I'm I'm (laughs) ready to talk about uh, Herta and Leverkusen. There there was more than just a handball controversy in this game. Herta really aggressive. Good at closing off space for Leverkusen's speedy wingers. They looked really good on the counter. Marco Richter scored what I reckon was probably the goal of the week, if not goal of the month. We'll see how things turn out, with you know a banger from distance on the run. But of course, you know, defensive blackout meant that Patrick Schick got to equalize. I understand that um you have a fair number of of, of <laughs> friends slash viewers. I asked this to people. Whenever I can, I think that there's real growth happening with this team. I think that the results are, are still pretty uneven. They're still in the bottom five or whatever. So I, I'm not really crowing just yet. But I think this team, over the course of the season, could turn out to be pretty good.
1: I am a big Herta excuses person. Yes. I say after every game, the <laughs> results don't match the effort they're giving. Even that Dortmund game, they were like playing really well against Dortmund. It's just like you said, it's like one or two mistakes that just derail the game. But no, I think it's really clear that this team is way better than last year. I think relegation is something that always like should just be in the back of everyone's mind who's have kind of like down there on the table right now, but like I would have more faith saying like is not going to be in the same situation as they were before, where they're kind of, like, scurrying, trying to get out of a situation on the last match day. And I think it's just, like, they're having a slow start. I think, like, what we were talking about earlier, they don't have a whole lot of national team players. They don't have a European competition, so they're kind of going to be able to get their feet under them against some teams that are going to be in October playing a 1,000 games. I think they're going to be able to find a better rhythm than was afforded to them last year. But, yeah, I think this team, I think... They're not really, really good, but I think it's just like very, very clear they're better than last year, and they have more of a rhythm to them, and they know what they want to do in a game. Some of those games Herod was playing last year, is like AYSO, like 11 kids just running around chasing the ball. But I think they have a plan this year, and that's good to see.
0: Yep, they have stopped sucking. Hurrah. <laughs> oh, before we take the break, which I think we should uh, in just a moment, I wanted you to, for folks who are not you know, either folks who, who view or, or not follow you on, on, on Twitter. What is the deal with 50 Plus Dinner? This is, a, this is a show on Twitch. You talk about, you know, goings on in the Bundesliga, but you also seem to come up with some pretty fun, like, theme things. What, what have you been doing lately? What are you about to
1: do? Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I think it's just, like, people supporting all these dumb ideas that I have in my head that I think are funny or fun. I made a Oktoberfest bingo card for like the same thing I was doing yesterday. We had a first round poll call pick em, which was, I thought was really cool. We have our fancy league. And then there's just other stuff. Like I think I was inspired by you actually with your history deep dive. Sometimes I do like 30 minute quick profiles on a team because really I gear my show towards like people who. I think people who like the league also like it, but really the big thing for me is just making it accessible for people who are newer, which is a lot of people. I think I've run into that with Cone Chicago, of just people not having a team and stuff. So a lot of those are just making the league more fun. I think the league can be a little stiff lips sometimes about having fun or like sticking to tradition. And just, I think like maybe we'll talk about it later there's, Seems to be like a a, a little bit of an antiness with German fans and like influential cult, influencer culture, that I think dissuades people from wanting to do stuff like this. But I don't really care. So <laughs> I ask my community a lot of times, like what they think is fun and stuff like that. And yeah, I think we're always figuring out something wacky to do. So
0: nice. What's what, what's coming up on Thursday? You're hitting up the uh, Frauen Bundesliga preview, right?
1: Yes. So I I'm a big proponent of like I think covering men's league is very important but covering women's league is super super important even though it's not extremely available in the u.s but my friend Melly is coming on who's a probably a fanatic uh we're just gonna just go over the start of the season and things like that and i'll have a fun game for her to play too (laughs) in the last 30 minutes but yeah i think like just kicking that off is super important
0: nice nice yeah everybody check it out but first let's take a break on talking to spell direct We're back with part two of Talking Foosball Direct. I'm Matt Herman. I'm here with Jake Payne from 50 Plus Donor. We're going to start things off with Marco Rosa's revenge. The Red Bulls, they made a coaching change this week. They got whooped in Frankfurt last week. They rolled over again at home to Shakhtar Donetsk in the Champions League. It seemed like just a matter of time. Domenico Tedesco out and, so shocking, Marco Rosa in. A lot of us... I think we're looking at the RBL fixture list and thinking, wow, what a bad time to start a new coach. First up is, you know, Borussia Dortmund just happens to be Marco Rosa's old team. Then away to defending Champions League winners, Real Madrid. Then a trip to face Marco Rosa's other old team, Gladbach. But they had zero problems starting off here. This was as comprehensive a win over Dortmund as anybody has achieved thus far this season. I think the, the Schwarz-Gelman had like five shots in the game, none of which were on target. <laughs> where, where would you like to start? The rejuvenated RB or the toothless Bayfau Bay?
1: I think the bigger story, like you said, like to put a manager in this kind of situation, you have to manage three with three days notice, maybe even less, this test against Dortmund and you pass with flying colors. I think, like, RB Leipzig is a naturally, of course, a talented team. And I think everyone knew, like, Marco Rose's system really fits with how many attacking players Leipzig have. I didn't think they would be that good defensively, though. I know Dortmund kind of has looked unconvincing in a lot of games this year, and they kind of have squeaked out a lot of games, uh, as opposed to kind of, like, the domination I think everybody, in particular, their fans would want. But I was not thinking this would be 3-0 with Dortmund just floundering. I mean, they don't even—I'm looking at the stats right now. They didn't even have the most possession either. So, I mean, for them to have that kind of defensive standoff against Dortmund is really impressive. And I think Dortmund has a lot of questions that they need to figure out as they go into what's going to be a very long two months with all these competitions going on for them and all these injuries they seem to be getting again.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, these results that have been going more or less Dortmund's way, despite a lack of conviction among Dortmund fans and, and neutral observers. I guess this could all turn fairly quickly if uh, <laughs> you get a few more 3-0 type results. Any thoughts about where RB might be headed now that they have someone in charge who at least from from early indications looks to be able to get a bit more out of this team than Tedesco had for the first several
1: games? I think it's still something to watch, of course. I mean, it could also be an overreaction, of course. Like we said, Dorman had problems kind of like living up to their energy they should be having in games. However, I do think, like we are saying, Marco Rosa's system fits this team very well. And also not to forget that Gladbach, the person he worked with at Gladbach, their sporting director, Max Erbel, he's going to be joining Leipzig in December. So I think there's this added thing of these two people who had really a successful time, I would say, at Gladbach are also going to have probably a more a successful time at Leipzig and with more resources. Because right now, I think, like, I was talking about on the last show, of, like, I don't know what Leipzig is, like, aiming for. But I think with Rosa being so tied to, like, Leipzig in general, with him being from there, and I think, like, him going to be more comfortable with working with the sporting director he's already worked with, that could be a nightmare for the future. So... I think like just overall Leipzig is now a team that I would be really interested to see how they develop just over the course of the season.
0: Yeah, it always felt like a natural considering the deep Red Bull background that Marco Rosa has and the fact, as you mentioned, that he is from Leipzig. I mean, if anything, that club has always sort of struggled to present itself as one that had genuine roots in Leipzig and a genuine sense of community feeling. I mean, I think in some ways that that gets a little bit overstated because, you know, they draw fine. People in Leipzig seem to think they're fine. I mean, obviously, certain Locke and Chemi fans, the old school teams, have great, great vendettas against them, as do many people across German football. But I think that if they were to have success over a long period and have a, a local guy as their coach, it might do that club a lot of good, at least in their own community.
1: I don't think so, but I think just like the setup and like the just what Leipzig had just present is always going to be butting heads with like you said the old fans. I think for them they're just more we want to string successes. Like they won a trophy last year. I'm a, I, I imagine that this summer they're like we need another trophy again. And I think that's more what this sets up for with Rosa and April. I think that's more what they care about. And I think that's more what they're looking at is, like, these are two people who can take us to the constantly competing with Dortmund, Bayern, like, that kind of situation, so...
0: Yeah, well, let's get it on after after 10 years of a, of a unipolar Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leipzig would not be my choice for no. a, a bipolar or dupolar, whatever, Bundesliga. But, you know, I'll take it, I guess. Okay, thinking about Dortmund moving forward, they have City coming up in the Champions League. Following that, they have the Derby of all Derbies. Against <laughs> against uh, against Schalke, Dolfia Schalke. However, they got their first win of the season. There was joy in Mudville as they prepared for the big Revere Derby by winning the little one over Bochum. It was a pretty even game, to be fair, and Schalke was just a little bit more clinical in, in, in front of goal. And, you know, Bochum actually chipped in at the wrong end when Erhan Masowicz turned the ball into his own net, trying to defend a Tobias Moore free kick. Let's just play a certain. Devil's advocate slash catastrophic eventuality role here. Let's let's say Dortmund lose both to City and Schalke heading into the international break. That would be a pretty pretty nasty concoction for them to
1: swallow. I think City maybe not, but losing to Schalke would definitely. I think you'd start seeing a lot of question marks flying around. In the Dortmund fandom, 100%. But I think, like, also in the offices of Dortmund. Like, if they lose that Schalke game where they look not that great against Schalke even, I would even chalk it up to that, like their usual holding onto a league barely. That would raise a lot of questions, which is pretty wild. I thought, I, I, I thought the appointment of Terzic, and I thought, like, Getting Eros-Chan, I, I mean, I know what Eros-Chan can do, and some of the signings that they had, they were really good, but, like, they just look, like, so incomplete for some reason. And, like, if they can't get it together against Schalke, which, I mean, sorry, Schalke fan, but, like, Dorman theoretically should be running over Schalke. If they just look unconvincing again against a newly promoted team, I think that extended break, they're going to have to figure out something. I'm not saying Terzic should be fired or anything, but, like, they need to, like, just have a sit-down with their players and be like, what do we want out of this season? Like, what are we aiming for exactly? Yeah. Because uh, that would just be bad.
0: Yeah, especially because, you know, this is a team who has hung its hat for so long on their attack, and they've invested so well in players who are not strictly attacking players. You know, a couple of center backs, you know, Sally Uzjan as well, who he can contribute uh, going forward, but his job is to do more than just that. And for them to just... <laughs> You know, they don't look any more defensively solid than they ever have, despite all that.
1: I will say that Schwarzerbeck, I think Schwarzerbeck singularly brings the energy that they're hoping every other defender help with. I think Oshon helps as, is, as a midfield, but like you're saying, like every other person on that back line is getting torched right now. I also think they're banking on Sula being more useful than, than he has been as well. But and also I think the Holler situation did set them back, which also shout out to Marco Richter too coming back from a similar situation as Holler's in and having two goals already, which is nice. But I yeah I think Dortmund just like I think like the rest of us figured they would be a lot better than they are right now and having better results. And unfortunately, <laughs> I think the Manchester City game is going to expose a lot more too. Unfortunately.
0: Yep, yeah, it could get ugly. Let's just say that Hoffenheim, Hoffenheim, Hoffenheim of all people—they <laughs> are very quietly getting some good results. I mean, they—they've lost a couple games. They don't draw. Let's just say they either win or they lose, which fair. Don't mind that. They got a four-one win at home to Mites. They're now fourth. They are nestled in between Bayern and Dortmund. You know, level with those two on twelve points. You've watched the Bundesliga for a number of years. We've sort of seen this sort of thing from Hoffenheim before. They'll go on a run of, you know, six, seven games where they look really solid. They play toe-to-toe with some decent teams and then they sort of run aground. Should we trust this Andre Breitenreiter-led version of Hoffenheim a little bit more?
1: I think that question will be answered this upcoming weekend when they play Freiburg. I think the mindset what I said, so like when you look at who they played earlier, right? They played Bochum, they played Leverkusen, they played Augsburg. These are teams that are just having problems in general right now. Sure. So I was like, eh, like their losses are against Gladbach and Dorman. So I'm like, eh. But the minds game, I'm like, okay, like this might be for real. I'm sitting up and noticing at this point. Exactly, right. And I also think what's really, really dangerous about them, and also what I always tell people is frustrating about them with fantasy, is like they can get production out of anybody. Like they just have a team full of people that can do stuff. It's so weird. And I think that makes them hard to prepare for. You just like don't know where their goals gonna come from. You don't know where their distribution's gonna be from. It's always from someone new. If they look convincing against Freiburg, I would be like, this could be a problem. I don't know if they will, but that mind s- result now sticks out in their schedule. schedules. Like this could be this could be for real.
0: Yeah, another eyebrow-raising result from Match Day Six was Wolfsburg's one-nil win in Frankfurt. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying to the barman at gathering place this weekend, <laughs> I thought after watching five games. This young Bundesliga season that, you know, I I don't know everything. I don't know much, you know, the the game is volatile. But one thing that I thought that I knew was that Wolfsburg were bad. (laughs) And, uh, you know, this was a hell of a result for them. You know, this was the first game in the post Max Cruiser era for Wolfsburg, apparently. Nico Kovac told reporters on Saturday that he, he left him out of his matchday squad because he didn't think he was prepared to give his all for the club and that, you know, his bosses, Jörg Schmarke and, and Marcel Schaefer, the sporting director dudes, basically backed him in this decision to cut him loose. He's done. Did that maybe have a sort of galvanizing effect for Wolfsburg?
1: I don't think so. I honestly, my brain wants to factor this into like frankfurt just also got smashed this past weekend yeah and like we're kind of going to that a little wounded i don't know what to think about wolfsburg man like (laughs) i thought they would be playing way way better just in general and even with this win they're still what 16th and their next game against union which i mean Union Berlin, which I mean, okay, like I think they're in like kind of a mirror world situation with Hoffenheim, right? Like this results now sticks out on their schedule of like, okay, even though Frankfurt was weak, they still won, and now they have this game coming up where if they play good, you're like, okay, well, you know, with Hoffenheim it's like, okay, they're for real, but with Wolfsburg it's like, okay, they're getting it together a little bit. But yeah, I don't know about the Max Cruiser thing. I just don't know what this team's issue is. I thought Kovac would be a way bigger. And, like, if you look at Wolfsburg on paper, they're not bad at all. So for them to be where they are right now and playing like they are, I'm not sure what's going on over there. I think next to Leverkusen, that's the biggest mystery of the season so far. Mm-hmm. For me, at least.
0: Yeah, this was a huge, huge disappointment of a start for Wolfsburg. Although, you know, to be fair, like, Frankfurt's also doing weird stuff right now. I mean, they, they got smashed at home to the to sporting club, and now they sort of just slouched to a loss against Wolfsburg. They generated, you know, pretty, pretty meager (laughs) chances in this game. I'm always just about ready to get on the Eintracht bandwagon and be be like, Oh, this is just straight up a good team because when they're good, they're really good, but they do shit like this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's just so much weird stuff going on this season already. Like, I mean, I guess Frankfurt like kind of had a lot on their plate already. You know, like I think, them being thrust into Champions League all of a sudden, and they kind of had to make the transfers to fit that new situation. I don't know what's going on with Leverkusen or Wolfsburg. Seeing Hoffenheim up there is really wild. And it seems like mine shouldn't be as high as they are right now, and they are. It's like this is just like such a weird start to the season. I think it's only going to get weirder, as we like have talked about a lot already with October. A lot of the teams up at the top are going to be playing three games every week. I think it's only going to get weirder. Oh, and Bremen, too. Bremen being up that high as well for being newly promoted.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to have nonstop weird until the World Cup break. Yeah. And I'm just not sure if, like, the post-World Cup season, which is really going to feel like a, a different season probably, is going to be, like— if they're going to be able to iron out all the weird in that part of the season. Like, it maybe it's hopeless, but it's staying
1: weird. Yeah, that's that's going to be a weird time period. Because, like, if you look at, like, let's say Augsburg, right? They're not going to have that many national team players. So, like, they're already going to have the Men's World Cup of. And then they're going to have the tacked-on winter break that's also on top of that. I think, like, they don't – like, a team like that's not going to play from – november 16th to like it's almost two months middle of january yeah (laughs) so and like the the schedule won't even have restarted at that point they'll still be finishing out the first half of their opponent so like you said this is just going to be a really really weird season i love it but it's going to be hard to predict all these things i think
0: yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind a little weird after after all the monotony in recent years. <laughs> There's one <laughs> more game for us to mention. It's, you know, Verder Bremen finally playing a non-shootout like shootout type of game, at least in terms of goals. Although they did as is their want. <laughs> they dialed up the excitement meter at the very last bit. You know, they got a penalty in injury time only for uh, Rafal Gikovic to save it. Did this live up to your, your maxim of, of Friday night games being a bit janky and fun?
1: Yes, it definitely did, but not because of the game itself. I think we talked about earlier the refing The reffing in this game was very, very confusing. And I don't know what was going on between these two teams. They don't seem to like each other very much. There was a lot of post-whistle jostling Uh, When Gikovic saved that penalty, he was taunting the home end, like, immediately. Even after the game, there was some pushing and shoving. Like, not a lot of friends made for the return fixture. It it was a 1-0, and it was kind of, like like you said, janky. But I think it still did fit in the always-watch-Friday game spectrum because it was exciting, and there was, like, it was not a normal game, I will say. But I definitely would love to see if these two have that same energy when they play each other for the second half. Excellent.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to a Friday night game with my team next week. I'm hoping it uh, it turns into a a weird one, away to Mites. So yeah, maybe that.
1: Maybe that. I feel like that also could be a game where Heritage is like, okay, we're we're starting to figure out a little bit. I feel like Mites is just that team. Is like the uh, the gatekeeper team. Like if you can. Get a result against mines for whatever reason, you kind of like feel better after, you know what I mean? I think like that's that's what they're there for this season to be that like test if you've you've turned things around or not.
0: Yeah, the the measuring stick team. Yeah, if
1: exactly. You, if
0: you if you're that tall, you you can get on the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> all right. That is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Really nice to have you on for the first time, Jake. May it not be the last.
1: Oh, man. I, I would love to be back on again. Super fun. Always fun talking German soccer. I feel like people in the U.S. don't get to do that all that often. So, good to have someone to talk to stuff about with.
0: I know, man. It's, it's when you find another person,
1: yeah, that, of this persuasion, <laughs>
0: you just want to hold on tight.
1: That moment where you see someone like on the train with the with the Bundesliga jersey, and you just lock eyes. It's like that, but with. When- entire conversation, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, sliding <it's> <laughs> doors, man. Hope they don't get off the train too quick. Uh, yeah, you can find him on Twitter at 50 plus donor. You can hear much more of him every Thursday evening on the show itself on Twitch. You can find it over there pretty easily, I reckon. Uh, if you want to contact me on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. Talking football Extra will be coming up in a couple of days to give you a little taste of some things we're cooking up on Patreon, apparently. That's Nick's plan. This some from Nick's Jamal, y'all.